Today's word comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. We are in a series about what kind of church we want to be um, as we are in this soft launch period, I guess that's what we call it. Um, and this, this passage, you know, it's, this is, it's been the same passage for weeks. Um, will we be light? Will we be salt? Um, to be, you guys all know what it's like to be in the dark. I mean, I just had a really terrible um, example of this just uh, like last week. I picked up, I got something, and, you know, I went across the room in the middle. You know, you think you know your own room. This is your own bedroom. <laughs> it's your own bedroom, and in the dark, and I, you know, chipped my knee on the edge of the corner of the bed, and it was so painful. It was still hurting till the next morning. And so, you know, that's, that's what happens in the dark. And that's a pretty minor thing. Um, if the world is dark, we fall down. We crash into each other. Um, dangerous, dangerous people and dangerous animals can devour you in the dark. Bad things happen in the dark, right? And it says here that God's people are a light. He also goes on to say that we are a salt. And I've said this multiple times, but back in the past, um, there's no refrigeration. There's no preservatives. And if you have food, but you have no salt, you are not going to make it through the winter, you're literally going to die without the salt. And who does Jesus say? He says, you, my people, you are the difference between life and in death in this world, in this time, in this place. Will we be light and salt right here in Silicon Valley, in Sunnyvale, in Santa Clara, in this, in this place? A lot of darkness and a lot of dying. And um, we've been going through... Various verses, which I believe are the roadmap of what it means to be salty, what it means to be lit in this place. And um, we've, we've talked about, you know, and they're very strange. They're very strange ways. We've talked about being poor in spirit because the world is full of poor in spirit. And it's strange. You offer poverty in spirit. And then he says, theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. That's a strange promise, but that's the promise. We've talked about, blessed are those who mourn. We will be a people who mourn so we can offer comfort, an eternal comfort, a divine comfort. Um, we talked about, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, justice. Regularly in our culture, it's, uh, it's just completely run roughshod. And especially for those who are vulnerable and weak, we will be a people that hunger and thirst for righteousness and for justice. Um, last week we had a huge message on blessed are the merciful. It's a tough message uh, because 
we are a people constantly in need of mercy because in all honesty, we deserve wrath. We deserve condemnation. And yet God gives us mercy. And so then he says, will you be like me? Will you go out there and give mercy? If you do, you'll receive mercy. Will revive be a house and a community filled with mercy? And today, I want to talk about another huge theme. So like mercy, it's all throughout the Bible. Righteousness, justice, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, I, I, you know, you notice I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of Bible these last couple of messages because Jesus gives you one sentence, but he's really giving you huge, like a huge dose of the Bible, the word of God. And today we're going to look at another one, which is blessed are the peacemakers. This is verse nine, chapter five, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers or happy are the peacemakers. And then this is the next part. This is really extraordinary. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at this. For they shall be called sons of God. Do you want to be called a son, a daughter, a child of the true and living God? Is that what people will think of when they think about this church, Revived Church? I sure hope so. How will that happen? We must be makers of peace. We will be the doers of peace. Literally, the word is doer of peace or the maker of peace. Blessed are the makers of peace. And so let's get into that in today's message. Um, part one, agents of forgiveness and reconciliation. Agents of forgiveness and reconciliation. I know forgiveness, that's not a fun thing. Is there somebody in your life right now you're really mad at? And and if you're urged to be a forgiving person or move toward forgiveness, that, that might not be something you want to hear. Um, is there someone in your life who's really angry at you? <laughs> Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. And this is a very, very important pathway for the people of God. Um, agents of forgiveness and reconciliation is part one. Part two, shalom is more than getting along. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. It's a huge word. It's a big word. Shalom is more than getting along. And part three, I'm going to talk about the Son of God, and we're going to, I'm going to call him this, the Son of Shalom. <laughs> the Son of Shalom who makes sons and daughters of Shalom. That's the way I want to close our message. Will we be like the Son of God and be sons and daughters of Shalom? So let's get into part one. Um, agents of forgiveness and reconciliation. So peace, peace is a really deep theme in the Bible. And, um, and so, you know, it's just a, it's a simple little verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And yet, um, you know, I, you, know you, you guys all know what the word peace means, but have you really thought about how important it is that we are makers of peace? How many people do you know that you would honestly say, they don't just want peace. I want world peace. You know, you go, let's drink to world peace. But not just people who pray for world peace or drink to world peace, but they make peace. <laughs> they do peace. And um, the world is filled with division, hostility, or actually, let me, the, the word that the Bible uses uh, that's often translated hostility is, actually, it's a tougher word, enmity. You guys know what enmity means? It's not a word that people go around using, but it's a good word. Enmity means this. It basically means this. I hate you, and you hate me, 
And you know what? There's a lot of it going around in our culture. It happens at the individualistic level. Tons of divorce. Because usually a marriage gets to a point where I just can't stand to be around you. And I guess you don't want to be around me. And almost every divorce ends with hostility and enmity. Here we go. Friendships end with hostility and enmity. Working relationships end with hostility and enmity. I mean, people go, I just can't take this place anymore. And then you quit your job, not because it's not a good job, not because they don't make, you don't make enough good money there or even have good future prospects there, just because you can't stand certain people there. This happens all the time. But it gets even worse. There's not just the enmity and the hostility of individuals in our individual relationships or our friendships and the things that should be good, but how about whole groups? It's corporate, corporate enmity. And so, um, you know, we just you turn on the news on any given day and um, there's a subtext. The subtext is this. Democrats hate Republicans. Republicans hate Democrats. And we're all supposed to be Americans, but it's just enmity on the news every day, <laughs> every day. We have enmity about taxes. We have enmity about race. We have enmity about everything. <laughs> the Christians don't like the non-Christians and the non-Christians don't like the Christians. <laughs> the white people don't like the black people and the black people don't like the white people. The rich people have looked down upon the poor people and the poor people resent the rich people. It's enmity. Where's the peace? Where's the peace? And here's what Jesus says. Blessed are you if you make peace. <laughs> now, let me, let me take you to a, um, a passage in the Bible, which I think is just rather extraordinary. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. It's a big passage. And just follow me here. It's actually about Gentiles and Jews. And now, if you guys think that Black people don't like white people or white people don't like, you know, black people or that Republicans don't like um, Democrats and vice versa. has nothing compared to the ancient world about Jews and Gentiles. Um, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, we, we use this word Gentile, and, uh, but the, it literally translates to the nations. But you know what the nations mean to the Jews? All the people are lost. <laughs> They don't know God, who have gross religious practices, who have gross moral practices. And there was enmity. But in Ephesians chapter 2, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, so I mean, this is a huge passage, and I wish I could, I could break down more of it, but I'm going to read through this. I want to emphasize certain points. So this is Ephesians 2, verse 11. This is what he says to the Christians. Remember, remember, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know what he's basically saying? You Gentiles had, you guys were hopeless. <laughs> And everybody, almost most of the people in this church are Gentiles. I, I don't know, think there's too many Jews in this room. It's everybody in this room. Okay? This is the way it starts. Verse 13. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. See, this is how it is when there's no peace. Somebody has to be far away. 
can happen in the same house. I mean, it's a terrible thing when a husband and wife are so not getting along that one has to be on this side of the house and one has to be on this side of the house. In terms of just physical distance, it's not very far, but they are far off. Here's what we're talking about. Between Jews and Gentiles, you were once far off, but you have now been brought near. You've been brought near by how? By the blood of Jesus. For, and here it is, for he himself is our peace. What's the peace? It's a person. The person is a peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of enmity. The dividing wall of hostility. There's a wall there. So you guys know what this is like. You have a friend that was a friend, but they're not a friend. And when you're walking down the high school you know, hallway, you see them and then you just look the other way. <laughs> you have a coworker and uh, you don't like their skin color. You don't like the way their breath smells. You don't like the way they talk. And when you walk down the hallway, you look the other way. <laughs> and when you look the other way, you know what that is? It's a wall. <laughs> There's no physical wall but there's a wall and it's a thick one and it's a hard one and it's not built by bricks. It's built by enmity. It's built by hostility. This is a really interesting thing. You know how it can be broken down? One person takes away a brick of hostility and enmity. It only takes one. If there's a if you have enmity and hostility to the other person, guess what? They'll build the bricks of hostility too. Isn't that how it works? I hate you, and because I hate you, they'll hate you back. <laughs> and so there's a wall, and the bricks are filled with hostility and enmity. But all it takes is one person to start taking some of those bricks away. I will take some of the enmity back. And then the wall weakens. Jesus is our peace. You know, the word there in Greek is irani. And um, in, the, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, you are the peacemakers, he's saying, you are the Irani makers. Irani is Greek. It's also the exact same word in Hebrew for shalom. That's the way they translated it. You are the Irani makers, and you take down the wall of hostility. Verse 15. Well, let's go back 14. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one, not two. Broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, I want to just stop for a moment. Let me make a comment about this. Do you know what this means? Jesus actually abolished the laws by which the Jews feel superior in their righteousness by laws. Because this is usually the way it works. You know, there's nothing like hostility when you feel you are more right. That's how marriages break down. Not because somebody did just something wrong, but because the other person felt more right. That's how, that's how friendships break down. Because I'm more right. You know what Jesus did? He broke it down. It's incredible. He broke down the law. He broke down the righteousness that comes from us. He broke that down. He broke it down by the cross. So then he says, by abolishing the commandments expressed in that he might create in himself 
one new man in place of the two. That's how he describes it. There'd be like a, a new person, a new person where there was two. So making peace, there it again. He is our peace. He makes peace. And verse 16, and might reconcile us. There we are. Might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. There we go. So here's the picture. First, there was enmity. We hated God and we got his hatred back, which we deserve. Jesus came to break it down, including our self-righteousness. He even broke down the law so that he could free us by grace. It's incredible. It doesn't mean he erases the law. He fulfills it. But how did he do it? He laid his life down. And then when he laid his life down, we killed him. But to do that, he did it to break down hostility. But he did it not just so that we could be reconciled to God. He did it so that we can be reconciled to each other. There can be forgiveness with each other. We can start taking down the hostility together. Now, I want to say the first thing here. I'll say two more points about this before I move to point two. First, we live in Silicon Valley. I want to really challenge you here today. How are your relationships? How are your relationships? Both to individual people in your, in your life, your coworker, your family, your friends. Maybe someone right here in this room. You don't like them. There's some enmity going on, right? How are your relationships? In Silicon Valley, we do not care about relationships. You know what we care about in Silicon Valley? We care about accomplishments. We care about the money. We care about, are we chopping up? So if we can actually afford that ridiculously expensive house, because we got that promotion last week, then it doesn't matter that I hate my dad. And then we just kind of throw that out, you know, away. Or it doesn't matter that I like to give the middle finger to certain skin color people when they cut me off in traffic. But that's enmity. How are your relationships? How are your relationships? Is there somebody in your life right now, you're building the wall of enmity? You're putting those bricks in and you're building that wall either against a group or against certain individuals. And here's the second point I want to say. If you cannot, you know, go to this place of relationships, you'll never have real peace. See, he's a peace giver. One of the real qualities of whether your life is going to actually be full and rich is, is the quality of your relationships. The first relationship you must have healed is with God. Huh. Is with God. Why? Because, because we're not monkeys. <laughs> we're not rats. We're not rocks. We're not bricks. We're people. We were first made to have the most precious relationship with the most important person, and he made us for himself, and there's no other place where you'll be more loved and more cherished than with him. Do you have an enmity, something against God? Hmm. That's the first question. And the second question is, if you don't, but you have someone that you have an enmity against, then this is a strange thing about God. Jesus has these, these really difficult things. You should forgive somebody. You guys know how many times? You guys know? Many of you know? Seven times? Oh, if you forgive somebody seven times, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. You're a really holy person, right? <laughs> Not according to Jesus. Seventy times, seven times. 
But, but they did it again and again. But didn't you do it again? Didn't you fail the Lord? Didn't you lie to him? Didn't you use him? Didn't you pray, Lord, if you just do this, then I will do this for you. You know, it's like, like, like there's some kind of a deal, <laughs> right? And we pray these things. And then he does give us, though we don't deserve it, and then we do whatever we say we're going to do for God like about, for about two weeks. And then we become liars. And then he forgives us. Because he broke down the wall of hostility by the cross. Forgiveness and reconciliation is our God. Right? And he challenges you and me. It's not fun. <laughs> gosh, being a pastor, this is one of the most not fun things about being a pastor because, you know, I got to be the first to repent. If I preach this, I got to go do this <laughs> because otherwise I'm just a stupid hypocrite up here. And who the heck wants to listen to a hypocrite? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all this week I'm like, oh, gosh. But there's the gospel. He has removed the wall of enmity and broken it down. So that when I look to him, he should hate me, but he doesn't. Hmm. And it makes me put down my barriers to him. And so he asks you, would you go do that for somebody else? And be a peacemaker. Make peace. Hmm. Let me go to part two. Part two. Shalom is more than that, though. Hmm. All right, that's hard. That's a big one. Let's go and break down the wall of hostility with somebody that you can't stand or they can't stand you or just whatever, right? But there's more. It's actually gloriously more. So I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna give you a, 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 a passage. Now, if you've ever taken membership class, I teach this, okay? But, um, but you know, that might've been three years ago <laughs> or, or maybe you just forgot it, which is fine. And you, or you've never, maybe you've never heard this. But... Every so now and then, you get, the, you get a blessing. We call it the benediction. A benediction is literally a good word. A good word is spoken over you at the end of our service. This is one of the most famous benedictions. And it's actually given by the Bible. So this is Numbers chapter 6. And many pastors like to give this blessing over God's people. And I'm, I'm certainly in one of them. So this is where it says, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Here's what it says. The Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. So Aaron is the, going to be the priest. And all of them are going to be the intercessors for God's people and lead the temple. So speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall say, you shall bless the people of Israel. So all the priests, all the people intercede for God's people. This is why I like the pastors, you know, the priests of various churches like to do this. You shall say to them, and follow the words. Some of you may be very, very familiar to you, but I'm going to teach you something here which is very relevant for today. The Lord Yahweh, the capital L-O-R-D is his name, right? Yahweh bless you and keep you. So it's, it's Yahweh is telling Moses to tell Yahweh bless you and keep you. It's really interesting. Tell Moses to, to say this over as priests. Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you, see, it's like a light, to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
to be forgiving to you. Hmm. Yahweh lift up his countenance, which is like the shining that comes off the face, upon you and give you, what's the word? Peace. But in Hebrew, the word is shalom. And in English, peace and shalom don't quite mean the same thing. In fact, peace is actually kind of a poor translation for shalom because I don't think we really have any word in English that, that means shalom. And you know what shalom means? So here's, in the Greek, they translated shalom as irani, and then later on Jesus says, you'll be an irani maker, but Jesus is thoroughly Jewish. He's talking about shalom, that you'll be a shalom maker. Will you and I be shalom makers? Well, what does that mean? Here's what shalom means. Shalom means wholeness, completion, flourishing, thriving. Wherever there was lack, there's no more lack. Wherever there was emptiness, there's more than enough. That's what it means. That's the blessing. May Yahweh lift up his face upon you and give you flourishing. May it all come overflowing, gushing, wherever there was emptiness. That's the blessing. God's people were put here to be God's source of flourishing. Now, I want to take you to one more passage, okay? This is a big passage, very, very famous passage. And this is the one I read at the beginning of our service. Because I don't know another passage of the Bible that represents shalom better, right? And so, without, instead of me trying to give you some kind of clever illustration, let me just take it to you from the Bible. This is Psalm 23. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. When I was growing up, and America was more of a Christian nation, um, the average American knew Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. I mean, they all knew it. Whether they went to church or not, they all knew it because it was so famous. Today, in our more godless city, they don't know it. Well, but you should. You should, all right? And all throughout is shalom. So here's, here's the way it goes. Psalm 23, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And here, what does it say? I shall not want. It's actually, um, it's, it's a little bit archaic language because it comes from the old King James where the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what it means? Today, some of you might think, I shall not want. You mean like I want this and I want that? Uh, want back then meant I shall not lack. I shall not have any shortcomings. Want means I want something I don't have. That's what it means. That's where the word comes from. It's kind of a strange morphing of like I have lack and now I want. But here it says, I shall not want. It's profound. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know what this is saying? We're all sheep. And by the way, that's, it's, it's, I know it's kind of insulting because sheep are like the dumbest <laughs> domesticated animals. But this is the way God says, uh, looks at us, right? But you know what sheep want? They want green pastures and still waters. And when they have that, they have a shepherd, they have pastures, they have still waters, and there's no wolves. You know what that means? Now the sheep is full of shalom. That's what it means. That's the picture. 
You have something in your life, something in your life, it represents more grass. <laughs> it's like the food that you want to fill your heart and your life. And if you had more of this, then it would be like green pastures. You know, you're thirsty. You thirst for something. You know, it's not rushing waters because the, 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 um, the sheep would be scared. They can't drink from that. But still waters. He goes on to say this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Can you say that? Even though I walk through the valley of really, really expensive houses and I might lose my housing, <laughs> I will fear, I will not fear homelessness. Uh, that's, that's the, that was, when I read that, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Even though I walk through Silicon Valley and I fear homelessness, <laughs> I will not fear homelessness because I have a shepherd who gives shalom, right? Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what that means? This is, this is really interesting. Your rod, the rod is the discipline. <laughs> Can you say that to the one who gives you shalom? We don't like discipline. Sometimes the sheep is dumb. Don't go over there, otherwise you're going to get devoured by a wolf. So you have to kind of like smack you a little bit. Book. And then pulls you. It's like the, the rod. The staff is the authority. The rod is the tool. And the rod pulls the sheep back to the shepherd and says, you are safe. More than enough grass. More than anything that makes you thirsty. And all my love and all my protection. Shalom with me and not death over there. <laughs> and there are many of us regularly, we chase off and we would prefer to be filled with other things. So, you know, actually, let me, let me, let me go on. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You'll anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. There we go. You know what my cup overflows is? Shalom. That's shalom. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. I have no want. That's shalom. I am at a table. There's enemies there. This person wants to kill me right after the meal's over. It doesn't matter because my cup will overflow. Shalom. Can you say that? People hate you. Maybe they even want to harm you. They want to steal from you. You're in danger of homelessness because you live in the most ridiculously expensive valley, right? And yet, my cup overflows. And verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can you say that? Can you say that you are filled with shalom, that you make shalom, that you do shalom, and you pour forth this promise into each other's hearts. This is what the church is about. The church is about people who regularly feel afraid from wolves, lack of grass, thirst, and yet we can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh. How long? Forever. Let me tell you something. Church is forever. 
Church is forever. Because church is not a building. Church is God's people. The house of God. The people of God. And they can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And my cup will overflow. In our lives, we regularly feel like my cup is half empty. My cup is mostly empty. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, I go through my bank account, you know, and I go, oh, darn it. It's really low. <laughs> you know, that's how you feel. But. This verse says that's not true of you. What is true of you is your cup will overflow with Jesus, the shepherd. So I want to ask you this, another question. I asked you a tough question in part one. Let me ask you a different question. Where do you lack shalom? Where do you lack shalom? In our lives, we want to fill ourselves with food. You know, sometimes when I feel low, I look at Yelp. <laughs> and I go to Yelp. What's the cool next place to go eat? And I go hang out with certain friends. And, and my friends are like pastors. So sometimes it's boring. <laughs> okay? I'm like, these are my friends. Great. Okay? I hope I'm not as boring as them. But probably I am. All right? And, uh, but at least we're eating good food. All right? And then, and then, ha ha, laughter, laughter. Two hours later, my stomach is full, but I don't have shalom. <laughs> you can't fill yourself with just food or accomplishments or relationships or entertainment or use people. Those are the ones that I think of in our city. Food, accomplishment, entertainment. You need a person. A person. He himself is our Shalom, that's the word. He himself is our Irani. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. He himself is our shalom. He himself makes our cup overflow. You know, there's just some other things that maybe you can be looking for. Because if you don't have these things, you will never have full shalom. These are, some of the, these are just some of the things that you need. And where the church is really, really important. A lot of people think the church is irrelevant. Oh my goodness. If the churches don't proclaim Jesus, then, well, then they are irrelevant because it's just lame, all right? It's like a house of religion. But in the church, you can get some of these other things from Jesus that will give us shalom. Here's some of the things. Not just food, accomplishments, entertainment. I told you you need a person. More. Purpose. Do you have purpose? Not just any Purpose. Purpose for which you are willing to sacrifice. If you have no purpose for which you will not spend big amounts of money or incur pain into your life, or then what are you going to offer your kids? Your kids are going to grow up and say, I guess I just need to get good grades so I can live in a comfortable house because my parents never sacrifice for anything because they don't have any purpose. Real purpose. Purpose. Sac worth sacrifice. That's a pathway to shalom. Here's some other ones. Forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness, certain people won't be in your life. How can you get to the end of your... I just, I just watched this movie. Um, um, the Mule. I haven't watched the, music, the movie. I'm, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, so I watch all his movies. He's like ancient now. But the movies are still... I actually think the movies are better than ever. 
And it's about this guy who's old and he wrecked his life. He ruined his marriage. His daughter doesn't talk to him. And at the end of his life, you know what? There's this purpose. You know, when he needs, he needs a person. He needs forgiveness. Hmm. Forgiveness. Purpose unto sacrifice. Forgiveness. Are you accepted? Are you known? Are you accepted? Someone knows you. They know what's not good about you. They know you well enough to know what stinks about you, what's annoying about you. And yet, they accept you. Kind, they don't kind of accept you. They really accept you. Do you have that? Do you have not just family, not just friends, but friends and family that will last forever? <laughs> An eternal friend and family. You know, your blood relatives, they don't last forever. Do you have family? Do you have friends? No matter what happens, not even death, you cannot lose your family, this family and friends. Do you have that? That's a part of shalom. Do you have significance? You know, who you are and what you do and what you're about, it matters. You feel there's worth. There's worthiness in your life. What you give yourself for, what you are about. When people say your name, they think, oh, that person is significant. That person matters. If that person is missing, we will hurt. Something important will be missing. Do you have significance? Do you have real love? Do you have real joy? These are all pieces of shalom. They all come from a person. He is our shalom. And when he's in your life, you will have the green grass forever. And you'll never be thirsty. And there'll be no wolf that he cannot defend you from. And he will forgive you. He will accept you. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you friends and family forever. It's called the church. <laughs> That's how we'll be salty. <laughs> Let me close by talking this way. It says that he is our peace. He is the shalom. Who is he? He is God become man. So God becomes human beings, and the human beings always treat each other more like rats and devils. That's, how we, that's generally our, our normal mode. We bite each other, or we, you know, like degrade one another through exploitation. That's just more like the devil. Or we are angry at each other through enmity, through our righteousness. It's more like the devil. I mean, animals don't do that to each other. They just... I'm bigger, you're smaller, I get more food, you don't, okay? I mean, that's just normal. I'm richer, I'm better looking, I have more friends, I get more, you know, I get more like uh, promotions, and you don't. That's like animal, okay? And then there's like devil. But God came us to make us truly human and then make us more than human, make us sons of God. Now, the son of God, how is he? The son of God is God, <laughs> And how do you know what the Son of God is like? He is a shalom maker. <laughs> he does peace. Where there is enmity, he starts piecing the bricks away. You know, it's costly. 
It cost him everything. The cross is, I will tear down the enmity and I will do peace. It'll cost me my blood. It'll cost me life. This is God. This is a God of shalom. This is the son of God. And he did not just take away all our shame and all our guilt. He came to take away our hostility. He came to take away our lack. He came to take away this cup that we look at that's half empty. But in him, half empty can turn into overflowing. It's a strange thing. You know, it's a strange thing that God took a cross and turned it into riches. And for many, many people in the world, we always think, if, you, if I just have more friends or more money or more cool entertainment and better food, then my life will be better. But actually, sometimes we need a glass half empty. Sometimes we need to feel, I don't have everything. And maybe I need some forgiveness. Maybe I need to forgive. But there's a person, he is your peace. He will make you a man or a woman of peace. He makes you, he came to break down the wall of hostility so that he himself can put his peace into your heart and make you and me not like animal, not like devil, but a son of God like him. Oh my goodness. He can make the sons and daughters of shalom in a city and in a place of darkness and of death. He makes us light. He makes us salt. He makes us sons and daughters of God, doers and makers of wholeness, flourishing, forgiveness, enmity conquering, shalom doers, shalom makers. We cannot earn this. We cannot, we can't, we can't achieve this. We can't earn this. We receive it. We believe it. We're repenting into it. We walk by grace and by faith. Brothers and sisters, you want real happiness, real, all those things I said to you, significance and family and everlasting joy, eternal friendship, purpose, deep purpose. You want all these things? Then please do not resist your shepherd when he sometimes kind of slaps you with a little bit of a rod. It's never out of meanness. It's never out of meanness. It's never out of wrath. He took all the wrath away. I don't have any wrath. I already burned up all the wrath on the cross. There is only shalom given to you, grace given to you. Please receive it. Please pursue it. And let's do it together. We will be a people of shalom for a dying city, a beautiful people, sons and daughters of God. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Lord, we aren't shalom makers. We're often enmity builders. We like to hold on to our righteousness and look down. We like to hold our grudges. We like to think that this lack that I have in my heart, if I just have a few more laughs and a little bit more money, and don't be bothered by anybody that I don't like, then my life will be better, but it's not better. 
you love us so much, you will not let us live with half a cup or a quarter of a cup, even if we want it. You came to make our cups overflow. You came to break down the wall of hostility between us and you, and then even more to break it down between each other. As we go to your table now, may we be a people of repentance. May we be a people of faith. Less animal and less devil and more truly human. Running to the Father to become a son, a son of Shalom, like the very Son of God, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. What more can we say except thank you and say, Lord, today, maybe take a step of repentance to follow you, to be in you. Make me a shalom maker. Make me a forgiver like you. In Jesus' name, amen.